from a fallout shelter somewhere under Seattle, Washington, it's the show you've been waiting for. Get ready to join your hosts, John and Kendrick, as they talk comics, movies and more. Now here's Spoiler Country! Hey, if you're listening to our show for the first time and you're on one of the social medias that we're on, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, any of those kinds of things, you should always check us out on scpod.net. But if you want to keep up with our latest episodes, you should bring out your smartphone, get into your favorite podcatcher, find Spoiler Country, and hit subscribe. Then you'll get all our new stuff. And if you want to reach out to us, you can do that in two ways. You can call us, leave us a voicemail at 707-656-2080. Again, 707-656-2080. Or you can shoot us an email at spoilercountry at gmail.com. Join the cult of the Spoilerverse, and welcome back to Spoiler Country. I'm Kendrick Regan. That, right over there, is Mr. Horsley. Because we're in the same room, which is awesome. Yeah, and today on the show, it's our man on the street, Casey T. Allen, interviewing Alex Schumacher. Now, Alex, if you may or may not know who he is from Twitter and from his comic, does a comic online called Decades of an Experience. Yeah. And they reached out to us on Twitter because they are celebrating their 200th episode today. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a that's so, a haul. Yeah, it's five years of them working on this. If right. If I, if, if, I, if I read that right, if it's not five years and I'm wrong, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure I read it was five years and 200 episodes of Decades of an Experience. And so much web comics. So much content, which is awesome. So we had Casey talk to him because, again... We had Casey talk to him twice. Right. I, w- I wasn't going to call him out, oh, but we did. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Alex, we are very apologetic that you had to go through that torture twice. Yeah, the torture of talking with Casey. I yes. Know. It's such a Casey <laughs> thought he hit record. We'll just say that. Yeah. He thought he hit record and uh, had some technical difficulties. <laughs> <laughs> but Alex was super sweet about it and... Came back on and said, yeah, no, let's do it again. No yeah, big deal. No big deal. It happens. It I happens. mean, this this kind of stuff happens. I've done it before. Yeah, we've had some issues where we got like 10 minutes into an interview and we're like, oh, shit, we didn't hit record. If you go back to listen to one of our KSBs where I talk with uh, Greg Scott Bailey, if you pay close attention, I didn't record my side of the conversation. And I had I had to dub it all back in. <laughs> so if you listen closely, you'll notice that my sometimes... It, it sounds odd. <laughs> some of it sounds odd because it's literally me recording responses to what he's saying because I didn't record my side. <laughs> So it happens. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Yeah. So Casey, you're absolved. Yeah. Just no, don't do it again. Yeah. Just don't ever do it again. <laughs> ever. Oh, you're fired. No. <laughs> <laughs> Never. Let's listen to Alex in his own words. everybody welcome again to another episode of spoiler country my name is casey allen and today i'm talking to alex schumacher he is the artist and writer creator of the webcomic decades of inexperience decades of inexperience has been going on for a little right at five years now and is coming up on a pretty big milestone alex you want to talk about it yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, so we just kicked off the fifth year of the webcomic, and on the 21st, we'll actually be publishing our 200th episode. That is, uh, I can't imagine 
having 200 of something that I created, that is, that's, that's pretty huge, man. Yeah. It's, it's kind of remarkable when you think about it. Um, when I started, you know, this venture with Antics Press, um, who, who's the public publisher with Francis Lombard, um, you know, we knew we wanted to do something that would be ongoing, but it's still, you're taken aback a little bit when when a number like five years and 200 episodes comes up. That's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's crazy. So, so decades of inexperiences, it follows um, this this guy named Luke Carlin and he, he's a 30 something who uh, hasn't really figured everything out yet. Um, and uh, it, it just kind of shows his, his day-to-day life and him getting in and out of trouble and uh, trying to break into the comics industry and dealing with his own personal depression and all that other stuff. Um, so that, clear, that sounds a lot of brain muscles there for me. Oh yeah. It sounds like a lot of people I know. So, what was the what was the impetus to uh, to to write this story? Yeah, I think I was coming off of a number of years of trying to create content or stories and pitches for editors and audiences that I was making the assumption they wanted to see or that I I thought they might want to see that would be marketable or part of some sort of fad that was going on. And I ended up failing pretty miserably at at doing those types of projects. And so I got to a point where I just decided the best thing to do for me was to go back where I started, which was just telling very personal stories from my own life experience and kind of recapturing the joy in doing that. And when I met Francis is my editor on decades. He just kind of got it intuitively right off the bat. And it was something that just felt very um, intuitive and very natural and organic to, to do, to move into when I wasn't quite sure what my next move was going to be. That, that's awesome. And, and so some of the, some of the storylines in, in this comic kind of are a little close to home for you. Um, yeah. Where, where does, where does Luke stop and, and Alex start or, or vice versa? Has there ever been anything that y- you had second thoughts about writing because it was too close to home? I don't know that I ever had second thoughts or second guessed any kind of storylines we were putting out. Uh, I think it was pretty well documented from the beginning that it was sort of a thinly veiled, uh, you know, recollection of some of the things that I had done in the past, but, or some of my own experiences rather. And to have Luke in there, it was a way for me to compartmentalize it a little bit and be able to play things up for effect and take a lot of artistic liberties in, you know, maybe making up some of the outcomes to, certain situations that he got into but again working with francis he's always been very encouraging and supportive about basically any storyline i wanted to do and i've never felt you know inhibited or like there was something i couldn't share or something i couldn't talk about in that comic and that's been pretty liberating 
that's that's awesome that you have that to kind of uh, kind of view your view your life through kind of a, as a lens uh, to to see and experience the world through that character and um, kind of yeah it seems like you could feasibly open yourself up a bit more through Absolutely. yeah yeah so, so open up yourself a little bit more and actually allow yourself the uh, the luxury of of feeling stuff through Luke. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it a little easier sometimes to tackle some of the more weightier subjects. I mean, I've talked about some of my struggles with drinking, you know, some of my depression, um, you you know, dealing with anti-Semitism. And I've talked about all those things through Luke. So it's sort of been through the prism of Luke's world, but they're still very, hopefully very relatable topics and emotions that he's going through that other people can maybe see themselves a little bit in too. Have you gotten any feedback from people um, where they picked up something from, from your comics that uh, you, you know, maybe, maybe they saw a little bit of themselves in it or um, you know, maybe it helped them through a situation. Yeah. The nice thing is with, with decades of inexperiences, I actually have, receive some of that feedback more so than anything I had done previously for certain. And I think that was because I wasn't necessarily trying to do anything specific. It, it, it was coming out as sincere because it was. And when you're trying to sort of form something or a project based on what you think an editor wants or what you think an audience wants, for me anyway, that comes off as very disingenuous. And so when I began doing decades and, and for the, you know, four and change year run that it's been going on, I think people have been able to relate to it and find themselves in it a little bit. And it's been really kind of encouraging and emboldening to, to have people reach out and not just, you know, friends or family, which are usually the first ones to tell you that what you're doing is, you know, spectacular. But it's nice <laughs> to have just strangers, you know, write you on social media and tell you that your work has touched them in some small way. It's it's quite a feeling, quite a high. Uh, I'm sure it's validating quite, oh, yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, because a lot of the times it's very easy to put your work out there. And there's so many artists of, you know, dozens of varieties, music and, you know, acting and painting and, you know, what have you. So it can, it can feel like you're just sort of shouting into the void at times. So to have people actually answer back in that void is, is very encouraging. That That's amazing. Um, yeah, it is an amazing feeling. So, so you decades of inexperiences is, is almost half of a decade or, or it is, I guess half a decade and yeah. <laughs> been able to amass uh, a, a, a sizable following with, with this web comic, which is amazing. I, I love seeing something that comes about so organically and building its audience. Um, did you expect to be still doing this comic, you know, f- five years down the road when you started? 
Yeah, again, I don't know if we had, if Francis and I had any specific expectations, but we knew it was going to be a journey because we had Luke start out at kind of a low point in his life where, you know, he was struggling with drinking and relationships and he didn't really love himself very much, which obviously then affected everything around him. So we knew we wanted to start him there and then have him on this journey of growth and self-discovery and how many years that was necessarily going to take for him to get there. We, we had no clue and we still have a lot of story to tell with him. So, uh, you know, we can still be doing it indefinitely as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but I, I think the idea with Francis and I, the sort of unspoken pact that we have is as long as we have stories to tell with him, we'll keep making the comic. And as long as we have the time and energy, God willing, <laughs> we'll keep doing it. So you you work fairly closely, you know, shoulder to shoulder with your editor, which is a, a pretty cool experience for for anybody just getting that, you know, feedback fairly quickly. Um, how did you meet this guy? And is it, it how, um, I guess you enjoy it, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think any working relationship will have its tense moments. But when you just in, inherently or implicitly uh, trust somebody, it makes that relationship very easy and it makes those you know, more frustrating moments easier to, to navigate. And so Francis and I were introduced because we were both working with a talent manager who was based in LA and that talent manager represented people who were writing series or artists in the animation industry. So both Francis and I had been trying to get in uh, to that, that realm. And this talent manager that we were with said, Hey, I think you, sh you two should meet. You have similar sensibilities, similar sense of humor, and you both love comics. So maybe you guys can do something together. Lo and behold, that actually happened to work out. So it's kind of like a really bad Hallmark movie, but in our case, it, it was how it actually happened. That's amazing. And it's, uh, it's it's really cool just knowing that you guys have such a a tight you know working relationship and uh, has he been able to kind of help drive stories or has he ever come up to you and gone like hey what about this do you think that uh, we could explore this with Luke absolutely he's been kind of incredible to have in my corner just you know if nothing else just for having somebody to push you as a writer and tell you to dig deeper in exploring something or tell you to try something a different way. And he's one of those editors who's phenomenal in the sense that their, their fingerprints are on your work and they've undoubtedly helped mold your work without altering your voice or without altering the point that you're trying to get across and Francis has been fantastic about that. So being able to have those conversations and I think I, you know, initially as any, you know, artist with a fragile ego does, it's tough to take 
feedback at first. It's tough to take criticism. Um, and I had probably been around the industry enough that I was used to it. But Francis and I found a, a, a functioning work relationship pretty early on and one that enabled us to to work on these ideas together and soundboard off of one another to create the finished product. That's, that's cool. And, and so do you mind if I ask you about how you got into the writing aspect? Because that is, um, your background is with art. So yeah, did, mainly, right. did the writing come, come easily for you or is that something that you had to find and, was it something that you had to find your voice in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I always loved writing, and I, I went so far as to take an, a creative writing course in junior college, even though I never continued on to any four-year university. I, I did have this notion that maybe writing was something I'd be interested in pursuing, and that kind of fell by the wayside and I was focusing far more on the illustration. And I didn't go to school for that either. That may be very well evident in my artwork. Um, but I, I focused on that and I harbored these delusions of being the next great comics illustrator. Uh, like some of my heroes, you know, Michael Lavon Omin or, you know, someone like that. And I was working with writers who were okay. And I found myself thinking that they weren't necessarily the projects that I wanted to work on. And I would be far happier just telling my own stories. So I took a couple years off to just drill writing, just work on writing, find my voice, read as much as I could. Um, my wife, who is an English major, amongst other things, helped me craft that quite a bit as well. And so I came to Francis you know, after writing probably almost a hundred short stories and a miserable novel, which I hope will never see the light of day, but it was, <laughs> it was a really great learning experience to do that. Cause I think I was kind of finding, like you said, finding my voice and, and finding my style while doing that, which is important. And honestly, I think it's something that's not necessarily concentrated on that much in comics. You, you know, you, you, go into this and, and you find your voice and uh, was was it a hard decision to make to, to do the writing all on your own or was that just something that you're like no no this is you know my heroes do this this is what I want to do yeah I think it was something that felt very natural to me because the inclination behind it was that I wanted to tell my own stories and I was a little bit tired, honestly, of telling other people's stories. And that sounds a little bit maybe harsher than I mean it to sound, but I, I wanted to be able to write and draw my own stories. So it was important to me that I was seasoned, not just with the art, but also with the writing and the narrative when I went into it. So I knew that was going to take some work, which is why I took, you know, the couple of years to, uh, really work on that dude i mean artists are, are writers rather are just talentless artists in that <laughs> if they want to make comics they're you know they they have to rely on someone else to do it because 
they, they have stories they want to tell and they're, they're not going to want to tell anyone else's stories. So, right. Yeah, I, to- I totally get that. There was a, um, I forget what writer it was. He had a, uh, a workshop recently for DC and it was, it was for, um, it was a writer's workshop and it was, his first slide in the workshop was you writers are parasites Artists do not need you. <laughs> it was like, get over yourself, and then now let's make your, your work better. So, well, I don't uh, – I mean, I would also make the argument that there are plenty of artists who can't write well. So there, there is some sort of symbiotic connection between the two in the comics world for certain. And I think that the problem sometimes is that – the medium isn't used to its fullest potential and the writer wants their part, the text and the narrative to be the part that stands out. And the artists want their part to be the, you know, the, the aspect that stands out, but they really need to be kind of a seamless part of the same product. And, and speaking of, you know, you utilizing the, the form and uh, your comic, it, it really so your art style it looks like something you would find in an alt paper um oh, cool. it, in that it's you know it, it's it's a uh, like a comic strip style almost and yeah. um it's you know black and white with grays uh occasionally you'll have a splash of color in there but it's very fluid in motion and you really take liberties with uh with your storytelling in that you know you can go into this um almost uh like hyper realism or uh yeah so you you can kind of take liberties with it to tell the story that you want to tell rather than being constrained to uh to this world that you've you've created yeah, the surrealism or the surrealist aspects are definitely something that I enjoy playing with a bit in there because uh, that it shows you a little bit of what's going on in Luke's mind at the same time. So you're getting this this textual um, or this text representation of what's going on in his mind, and then you're getting the visual <clears throat> representation of what's going on in his mind as well. It it, re- it really is fantastic, and um, well, thank you. I've I've had a blast just kind of flipping through the old ones and uh I can I, I really like seeing your your style on this emerge and, and it looks like you're kind of figuring out how you want to tell the story as you go. Sure. Um which is uh is amazing cuz not not everybody has that luxury. No, definitely and that's one of the kind of beautiful things about uh, a serialized comic is as you said you have that luxury to figure things out as you go or alter things as you go if something isn't working or if you just want to try um something else out you you have the availability and the time to do that so who are your influences in in your style Ooh, um that's that's a laundry list but I think I think sort of the the jumping off point 
was the Smithsonian collection of newspaper comic strips that was gifted to me by my grandparents when I was very young. And it had the works of Charles Schultz, who did Peanuts, Walt Kelly, who did Pogo, Roy Crane, who did Captain Easy. It had Little Orphan Annie, all of the classics, you know, from the beginning with the Yellow Kid all the way through, you know, For Better or For Worse by Lynn Johnston. And so it was this. I see a lot of, I see some For Better or For Worse in your in your art style. Oh, Lynn Johnson was a huge influence for sure. That's and amazing. It's just, there was just this vast array of styles, both artistically and writing wise. And it's this, this huge coffee book <clears throat> table, this big weighty tome that I think I may have actually, you know, it may have served as my first drafting table too, <laughs> <laughs> but that's where it started. And then, you know, getting back into comics, in my early 20s, there were there were all of the 90s alt comics that I discovered. The you know books from Fantagraphics and Drawn in Quarterly, um, you know Peter Bag and Keith Knight. And then I was up in the Bay Area and got involved with the National Cartoonist Society up there in the Cartoon Art Museum and was able to meet a lot of professionals up there too, which that interaction with them and having their, you know, in-person feedback was monumental and, and transformative for me. Do you, were you ever into um, the, the comic yummy fur Chester Brown? Oh, Chester Brown for sure. I, I don't know that I read that book of his uh, per se, but um, there was the, the pain for it book. The one about I mean, he, he wrote a lot about prostitution. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> so was, he, he was a weirdo. He was a weirdo. It was sort of the there is he still around? Yeah, still is. It was sort of the father, son, and holy ghost of fanographics, which was Chester Brown, Joe Matt, and Seth. All three of which I love, uh, but they were all kind of weirdos in their own right. But they made and and still make absolutely remarkable comics. I um I got uh, an issue of Yummy Fur and also an issue of Hate oh, yeah. when I was just too young to get it I think sure and it um it did everything it was supposed to have done in that it made me go like oh wow holy shit right <laughs> suppress the gag reflex at times yeah oh yeah See, I, yeah I discovered those in my early twenties. So I think I discovered them at just the right time because those were the perfect you know, books to, to find at that point in my life. And at that point in my career, I was 11. I got the, <laughs> okay. Yeah. That, that may have been a little early. So, so I, I learned a, a few, a few new words and uh, a few new terms, <laughs> but um, yeah. Google search. We had alt comics. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, what, was there anyone that actually took you under their wing when you were just kind of finding your way as, as a uh, cartoonist, as a, um, uh, a, you know, an alt comic creator? Sure. Um, as said, when I was in the Bay Area, I, got, I was involved with the Cartoonist Society, and there were a, a couple of people in particular First and foremost was a cartoonist named Maury Turner, the late great Maury Turner. He's 
he passed um, a number of years ago, and he did a comic strip called The Wee Pals, which was a nationally syndicated comic strip, and it started in the 60s. It was the first racially integrated comic strip, and Maury Turner was not just a, um, a supporter and a, a voice for the black community, um, he was just a supporter of everybody. He loved everyone. And so he showed, you know, he would show me different um, art styles. And uh, he had a, this huge collection of original art, which was phenomenal to see. He loved to talk shop. And he introduced me to a lot of other cartoonists. But he was one of the first, like I said, he just loved and encouraged people. And he was one of the first to make me feel like I could really achieve something. So through him, I met a guy named Michael Jancy, who does a comic strip called The Norm. And Michael was the first one to take this batch of comic strips that I was going to submit. Because for the first six or seven years of getting back into comics, I was trying to get into newspaper comics. So Michael Jancy took these comics and you know, just like an editor or, or like a professor would do, he went through it with this red pencil and constructively was never cruel about anything, but told me what I needed to change, how I needed to vary character designs, how to think about the layout and the page process. And that completely altered how I viewed creating a page and how I viewed um, layouts and writing. And it was all because of Michael Jancy. And some of the surrealism in decades of inexperience was actually kind of taken from the norm because he did some of that too. And then the third guy, so, so this was kind of, uh, I joke about it being my holy trinity of, of cartoonists. Um, the other guy was Ruben Bowling, who does a comic called Tom the Dancing Bug. Oh, I and, love that. Yeah, and so that's still online. He's, he's sort of, tra- he's... Um, found his way from newspapers to an online venue, and I only met I only met him in person a couple times at conventions. But he was wonderful about you know making me feel like I could do it, bolstering me, uh, introducing me to his syndicate editor, and getting me in touch with them. And those were really the three guys I think who, especially as at my foundation. Uh, as a cartoonist, those were the guys who really built me up and gave me the tools that I needed to move forward. That's awesome. And it's so cool that you get to talk to the people who have, you know, been in the industry for forever and get that constructive criticism from them. I was actually talking to, um, uh, the creator of Trekker, which is a, um, it's a uh, comic that's been going on since like 1988, but the uh, the artist and, and writer behind it, his uh, he went to the Kubert uh, School oh, and sure. was uh, under uh, you know Joe Kubert's tutelage and worked on him with uh, Ron Randall's his name worked with him on the Sergeant Rock title for DC. And that was kind of like his intro into the industry is having this, you know, legend 
be his boss and <laughs> kind of look over his shoulder as he's doing his work and, and inking over Kubert's pencils, which I'm sure is uh, uh, stressful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I love when creators are, are actively giving back and going like, oh, you want to do what I'm doing? Yeah, I was there one day, and I'm going to show you how I did it. Yeah, and, and I, I absolutely had that experience with those three and, and a handful of others as well who were just so judicious in and liberal with their advice and their feedback and never made me feel as though I was annoying them or or being, you know, I, I was never made to feel like the obnoxious little brother who your mom makes you, you know, bring along with you to hang out. They always made me feel very much a part of the group, which which was amazing for a, you know, 22-year-old just starting out. That's that's awesome. All right, so Alex, let's get real. You've been at this for 5 years. Probably got a little bit more clout now than when you started. Let's talk shit about people. Who I'm joking. Don't don't do that at all. <laughs> I was getting ready. I was rolling up my sleeves. Ooh, see. yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> ooh, well, there was this one <laughs> guy. <laughs> <when I first. laughs> um, <laughs> we we can we can talk shit, but <laughs> we we keep it positive nine times out of ten because we know that eventually you will run into people that you talk shit about it at a con, and nobody wants to do that. Nobody no. wants to deal with that. We'll do that when the, the, you know, tape's not rolling. <laughs> oh, yeah. There are a few people, though. Oh, my goodness. I, I try not I, – I try to I, – I watch what I say on Twitter and yeah. stuff, and there are a few people, though, that, yeah, I'm just like, ugh. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing that I've come to find about social media is there's always going to be people who are willing to knock you down, who are willing to – criticize you who are willing to make you feel small because they're insecure and you have to take all of that with a grain of salt and it's difficult it can feel very personal sometimes even if they're not being cruel intentionally it could still feel very personal if somebody tells you they're not a big fan of your work but <laughs> that's that's part of the the gig and you, you have to know that you're not going to please everybody. And that was a lot harder for me, I think, when I was younger. Now I can let it roll off of my back a little bit easier. But, I mean, it's, you know, it's your baby. It's something that you put your heart and soul into. And then when somebody wants to just stamp on it, that can be harmful sometimes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So speaking about social media, that it seems kind of like a, an integral part of uh an indie comic being done now is getting the word out via social media and interacting with people over social media because you you're kind of building a fan base. Uh, what have you learned in the process of of doing that? That it's a must. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, social media for me, honestly, if I wasn't an artist, I don't know how active I'd be on social media. It's just, there's a lot to wade through and a lot of it is really negative <laughs> and disparaging. 
Um, but it, it's where people find content now. So you have to have a website. You need to be on some platform like Instagram or Twitter. And you need to be active on it. And nobody's going to come pluck you from obscurity and ask you to do a book for the big two if you're just sitting in your garage scribbling away. So it, it's an like you said, it's an absolutely integral part. It's a necessary evil these days. But I've made my peace with that, I suppose. <laughs> it's funny. I was I was talking to Susan Eisenberg the other day, who is the voice of uh, Wonder Woman on the um, Justice League co- uh, cartoons. Oh, sure. And um, she was a sweetheart. And she was talking about seeing people on social media. And I'd commented that, you know, I'd seen her social media and she seemed like such a nice person and it was all positive. And then I had that brief moment of uh, self reflection where I realized my last personal tweet was uh, fuck the entire state of Iowa, (laughs) (laughs) which, um, uh, Made me feel kind of bad. Backpedal from, (laughs) and uh, I was like, "Mm, maybe I should chill out a little bit on the Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) And you know, that's the thing, right? Is it supposed to be this place where you can speak your mind and you can share ideas, and it's an open forum? But in a sense, like you said, especially if you're a creator or somebody who's using it for professional purposes as well, you sometimes do have to censor yourself a little bit. You have to be conscious of what you're putting out there because as it's been proven time and time again, even if you leave it on there for a few minutes and then delete it, somebody's going to do a screen Oh yeah. yeah. It's still going to exist. So you do need to be a little bit more conscious about what you're, what you're writing for sure. And I've learned that the hard way myself. <laughs> So, um, so what, what other, um, things have, have you done at, as a professional, um, illustrator? Uh, the, so I had done a few graphic novels, uh, between 2011 and 2013 from 2013 to about 2014 or maybe even 2012 to 2014 sort of overlapped. I was, as said, trying to get into the animation industry, uh, which didn't work out that well. My heart wasn't really in it, honestly, because at the time they weren't really looking for stories. They were looking for characters that they could cross-promote as toys or video games, and I wasn't really interested in that. Now, it may have changed since then, but when I was trying to get in, that's how it was. I had a picture book come out in 2014, a children's picture book. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and then, like I said, a couple years took off just to focus on the writing. Came back into decades. That was really my springboard back into creation. And since then, I'm also doing a monthly satirical comic strip, which is also sort of a nod to the old underground strips called Mr. Butterchips, where the titular character is an organ grinder monkey who smokes (laughs) excessively and drinks and just kind of rails against the dying light you know, and the, and the establishment as and, one does, as one, does. as one does when you're a, an organ grinder monkey who drinks and smokes excessively. Right. <laughs> and then as of last year, I signed with a literary agent. So we are pitching a couple of graphic novels right now. That's awesome. 
Uh, (laughs) Anything you can talk about yet, or is it still uh, heavily under wraps and guarded by lock and key and uh, armed guards and uh, threats of, of horrific violence? All of the above. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It's, it's in the contract with the literary agency. No, I'm kidding. Um, no, the, the books we are kind of keeping under wraps until there's something to announce. But with Mr. Butterchips, I am putting out a collection in the spring, hopefully in April, with an indie publisher who I've been dying to work with since I got back into comics in my 20s. Um, and I'll wait until they announce it to really say who it is. But that collection definitely is happening, so I don't mind sort of starting to soft promote it now. And that'll be the first 40 or 42 comics of Mr. Butterchips that I've done so far, plus a 22-page standalone story. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking through Mr. Butterchips right now on my phone, and uh, he is awesome. Uh, that's, that's gotten some fun feedback, too, for sure. I need some Mr. Butterchips in my life. Yeah, that's what I've I've heard from people. It, you know, it, he started out like I said as very much just an homage to Zap Comics, Robert Crumb, Gilbert Shelton, Spain Rodriguez, the you know the old underground guys, and then you know not to get into politics too much, but in after the election of 2016, he sort of took a hard left into political (laughs) and editorial satire but it's you know that comic has received some pretty good feedback and that's been nice to hear i haven't really received i've i've had a a few detractors and people who weren't happy about what i was saying but that's the risk that you take when you're doing a comic like that so it it doesn't really phase me I know it would make Bill Watterson, you know, scream and uh, run away, but um, <laughs> the idea of a muster, um, a Mister Butterchip, Mister Butterchips T-shirt or something, just is heavily appealing to me. Yeah, I'm hoping to do shirts actually with this publisher too, because they they do print T-shirts as well. So, fingers crossed, if the stars align, uh, we'll have something like that too. It is uh, far be it, you know, from from me to to suggest you whore your um your your creation out to to the <laughs> whims of the our capitalist overlords. But yeah, I could totally see this on a t-shirt. Yeah, and and you know, I think I'm more comfortable with something like a t-shirt than. Like an animated it's series. It's an on-a-board symbol. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, that too. But, you know, something where it's actually... Because I think that was Watterson, too, as his his opposition to doing a Calvin and Hobbes cartoon is because the whole idea was Hobbes was in Calvin's head. And so having some voice actor come in and portray Hobbes would have sort of been, you know... A, in context of the spirit yeah. of it. So that's kind of how I feel about Butterchips too, is, you know, he kind of sounds like your conscience, whatever that is. And, you know, maybe <laughs> giving a voice to it isn't, isn't really the point. Although in my head, he, he kind of sounds like Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> that's such an odd, um, uh, that's such an odd that's reference. specific. Yeah. Um, it, talking about uh, 
like the the inner monologue thing. My my wife pointed me to an article the other day where um, apparently only some people have an inner monologue. Oh, I read that too, which is weird to me. And my wife was completely and totally perplexed that people have inner monologues. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yes, she's one of the weird ones. So <laughs> I have no idea what I got myself into when I married this woman because she huh. has no person in her head telling her what to do, which is crazy to me. I feel like the majority of conversations that I have are in my head. Yeah, and and sometimes I feel as though, you know, the the person in my head that is, you know, supposedly giving me helpful instructions is, is speaking Mandarin or something because I have no idea what's going on. And is <laughs> drunk, so it's the kind of drunken babbling so it's sort of sort of the same effect, I suppose. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So uh, what 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 is uh looking ahead for decades of an experience um what's going to happen what's going on well currently uh luke is attempting to move in with his now longtime girlfriend which is one of the first healthy relationships he's been able to forge and one of the reasons is because the current girlfriend tiffany calls him on his bullshit and you know doesn't necessarily a doesn't ditch him because of it but b also doesn't let him get away with it which i think is something that luke desperately needed and so currently he's trying to get them to cohabitate because he realizes not just her value in in that aspect but that he does truly love her and it's maybe the first person he's loved uh, that deeply and that truly before so there's a little bit of a hiccup because Luke has a little bit of a drinking problem and Tiffany is not comfortable with that. So currently we're trying to navigate that really rocky terrain. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this year will be a bit about Luke doing some serious um, you know, self-reflection and kind of looking over what's truly important in life, I suppose. That's awesome. And, and- – you guys are eventually going to be uh, taking this to print? Yeah, we're working on getting the first two years together right now because those were a pretty different format. Um, like I said, it was coming off of a couple years of me harboring these delusions of being a prose writer. <laughs> so when we first came back into it, it was essentially, I think I called it serialized illustrated flash fiction so it were it was these huge chunks of text with a couple of illustrations and that was the first two years and then in the third year i had always gradually maybe grudgingly moved back towards comics because it's what i've always loved and i just had this weird speaking of inner monologues i had this weird voice in my head saying well that's not real literature and whatever idiotic notion i had but at the end of the day, it is, and I love comics, so it doesn't really matter what other people think about the the format, the art form. And so the third year, we just dove in with both feet and went back to doing a, a straight-up comic page. So the first two years are getting, we're working on collecting those right now, and then subsequent years will probably be collected later on, you know, because those are all the regular comic pages. That's fantastic. That's that's amazing. And 
it, it's so cool that you have uh, going up on 200 pages. Yeah, it's of, been a journey for sure. Yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. Um, how long does it take you to actually produce your uh, your your page? If I was under the gun, I could usually do it in about seven hours, eight hours. Um, I try to, to parse it out over like two and a half evenings after my day job, just so I'm not killing myself. <laughs> but yeah, it's about, I would say about a full workday, maybe like eight or nine hours to do one page from penciling to lettering to inking. That's, that's, I mean, it's, it's a workload. It's, it is a second it is. job. Yeah, um, I think it looks very simplistic in a way because you see the finished product, so it doesn't necessarily look like it takes as much, um, you know, as much activity as it actually does. Not activity, as much um, work as it actually does. How many hours of that seven to eight hours are do you spend just? banging your head up against the wall, figuring out what your next move is. <laughs> well, I try to do pretty tight thumbnails before I get started, because if I don't have a thumbnail, all I'm doing for that seven hours is banging my head against the wall. So <laughs> I try to get a thumbnail and lay out the page and really have that process done before I even move to the to, to the final page. Because if I have a thumbnail and I have an idea of the way that the – um, you know, direction of eye is going, if I have an idea of where the lettering is going, that makes the entire process quite a bit quicker. That's that's awesome. So, um, yeah, coming up on 200 pages, yeah. working on this thing for five years. Yep. Uh, you, you got some projects coming up ahead. You've got Mr. Butterchips. Um Anything else that that you want to talk about? I think those are the main things. Decades of experience, Mr. Butterchips, and then hopefully, you know, maybe in the next year or so, I'll have a graphic novel to announce, which would be kind of exciting. So uh, yeah, it, yeah. So you know, wish me luck on that, and we'll cross our fingers and eyes, and you know, say a couple prayers to whatever <laughs> deities you believe in, or if you don't at all, that's fine too. <laughs> I will I will meditate positive vibes and also yeah. tell you to get your ass back on the show and talk about your uh, graphic novel when it comes out because I want to hear about it. Oh, I would this love. This is to. just me being selfish. I want to hear about it. No, that that makes me feel welcome and you know gives me the warm fuzzies which I appreciate. <laughs> Alex, it's been a pleasure, and um, enjoy the rest of your evening. Uh, thank you again for coming on the show. Um, we had, uh, just as a, um, as an aside, we had a little bit of a hiccup, um, in that, uh, I completely shit the bed on the last recording we did, which, <laughs> uh, is basically this conversation. I think we might've done a little bit better this go round. Oh, um, and so, because, of yeah, I, I only recorded my audio and so I think um, I think it might have worked out for the best because I think we got a, a, a good tight uh, interview in and uh, yeah you guys check out decades of inexperience and um, 
do not hesitate to uh, to get in on this comic because it's amazing. Oh, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. Well, uh, it, no problem. I'm, I wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. And uh, there are a few people that uh, want to talk about their comics on the show, and I do not look forward to it because I do not want to lie to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully but, you're not lying to me. <laughs> <laughs> man, it, I, I'm, I'm really digging what I've, what I've read. And uh, also, Mr. Butterchips is freaking hilarious. So, um, Alex, I'll thank you. I'll get Country a copy when that collection comes out, too. Oh, dude, for sure. Yeah. Um, Alex Schumacher. You guys check it out, decadesofinexperience.com. Uh, that is where he has uh, the older uh, um, pages of the comic. And the new ones are up on antics.com. Yep, antixpress.com. Antixpress.com, which is A N T I X P R E S S.com. So you guys check it out. And uh, you guys follow Alex on, on, on the tweets. Or on uh, on the instas, on social, yeah, on on Insta. Tell him, hey, tell him you heard about him on the show. Tell him you like what he does, and um, yeah, we'll hear. We'll we'll talk to you later, man. Fantastic! Thanks so much, Casey. Uh, no problem. Th- thank you. Oh, my pleasure. And we're back. <laughs> Oh man, that was fun. That was cool. It was, uh, you know, listening to the original file, the, the take one, um, because Casey had his headphones up so high. Yeah, I could hear the conversation. Yeah, but it, you know, yeah. I could, it's not usable, right? Right. But I listened to it, and I honestly think the second round two came out better. You know, there's times that we've actually recorded whole episodes. Yeah, and they were fine, but the quality was so bad because. You know, in 2017, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Dude, case in point, the one, the one you're talking about was in the car on the way to San Diego. We recorded an entire episode, but we had the mic setting wrong. So it only picked up you and only picked up me on the oversight of you. So it sounded like ass. So yeah. we redid it. Yeah, we redid it. And it came out better the second time. It was like yeah. a, like the first one was a dress rehearsal. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Although there was some good nuggets in the first one, but I mean, the second one came out way better. Yeah. So, you know. Casey, you're absolved. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah. And Alex, thank you so much for, for coming on and talking about decades of an experience and, and helping us, letting us help you celebrate 200 episodes here. You know, congratulations on 200 and hopefully you can do, you know, 200, 300, 500 more. Let us help you. Yeah. Help us help you. Exactly. I'm glad you caught on to that. Nice. There you guys go. All right, guys, we are out of here. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoy what you heard today, you need to go back to our back catalog. There is a a plethora. I think that word is getting overused nowadays. I think so too. There's an There's abundance. There's a bunch of massive stuff in There's our a back catalog. A large number of interviews and episodes. You can exactly. Go to. A large, large number. Yeah. You can, go, you can go on any podcast. You can go on, if, but you can go on the website scpod.net and see everything. Yeah. And if you like old school comic books, like yeah. from the 70s and 60s, and you want to hear some of the stories of the, what happened back then then maybe listen to our Jerry Conway interview. Yeah. yeah. If you want to find out what happened in the 70s and 80s and with Spider-Man and DC and some other things, maybe wait and hear our J.M. DiMatteis interview that's coming out. Coming out next week. Actually, it's Friday today listening to this, and and that first episode of J.M. DiMatteis is going to drop next Wednesday. There you go. And there's so much more. If you want to get 
really nerdy and just be in the now, then go listen to our Emily Swallow interview. Yeah. She is amazing. Oh, it's a good one. And if you don't know who she is, she played Amara on Supernatural. Yep. She plays the armorer in The Mandalorian. Yep. And can't get any better than that, guys. Yeah. And we got great episodes also of us talking about our future project of Rider of the West. Yep. It's going to be huge. That's going to be huge, huge. <laughs> if any uh, publishers out there want to talk to us about what it's all about, let us know. <clears throat> Swiss Point Press. <clears throat> <laughs> Uh, But yeah, anyways, thanks so much for listening to us today. All right, guys, we are out of here. Thanks again. Don't forget to open the mind. Read more. Yes, sir. Oh, and to do it. On the Notion Podcast, we are to do it. Yeah. Just recorded my audio rather than both. But... uh, you know, it shouldn't be a problem this time. So, okay, that was one of the few interviews where I actually walked away thinking, "Hey, I didn't sound like a complete moron." So, hopefully, I can, <laughs> <laughs> I can recapture some of that tonight. <laughs> oh, dude, yeah, yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll get it back. So, I, I apologize for that. I was oh no, no worries. So irritated uh, with myself. So, um. Hold on one second. Pull some stuff up. Yeah. And uh, you've been having a good day so far? Yeah, it's not bad. It's a Friday and a payday, so I, I can complain, but I won't. <laughs> this is, no, it's not bad. It's a good day. Nice, nice. Yeah, I'm actually uh, leaving my job in a few weeks. My, I don't know if I told you this last time. Uh, my wife got a job up in the Bay Area, so we'll be moving up there. I think I did mention yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. What, what did you say you do again for, for work? Uh, I work for the county, Monterey County Child Support. Yes, that's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's got to be tough. It do, is. Do you, do you do, like, more, like, behind-the-scenes stuff, or you actually talk to the people that are – Unfortunately, I actually have to call the people and the parents that aren't paying and try to get them to pay and have them yell at me for asking them to pay. So it's got to be grueling. I don't, you know, like (laughs) leaving some of the people there. I I like some of the people I work with. So that's going to be, you know, a little tough. But leaving the job, I have absolutely no qualms about. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm going to. you guys are coming up on your 200th comic after doing yep. it for five years. Yeah. I'm going to uh, go ahead and do a quick introduction, and we'll just jump right into it, okay? Yeah, sounds great. <clears throat> All right, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of Spoiler Country. My name is 